0: Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat this morning, and I want to say what a joy to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with you all. It is a privilege beyond words, and it has changed my life, and it has changed your life uh, in many, many ways, and I think that this morning, what a a wonderful time to celebrate that. Uh, What a wonderful day to remember all that it brings, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, we're going to talk about what this day is, what it brings, what it means. Uh, but before we do that, I want to say a welcome to all of you. And for, so church family, for some of you, I haven't seen you in a long time. You came back for Easter. You could not have picked a better day to come. And I am glad to see you. For some of you, I've already met many of you who are, this is your first time with us here at Hope. And I want to say to you, Thank you so much for coming this morning. We consider it an honor and a privilege. We just are overwhelmed that you are with us today. And again, if this is the only Sunday of the year you go to church, you picked a great Sunday to go to church. And uh, so we love that you are here. We will do all we can to make you feel welcome. The one thing I would love for you to do is to just out these doors, check in with us at our guest center. That is a place where we have a gift for you. But we also get to know a little bit about you so that we can find out if there's some way we can contact you or serve you or help you. Uh, We will honor whatever your wishes are, but we want to be offering ourselves to you. And we do that right at the guest center. That's our opportunity to connect with you. So please do that after the service this morning. All right, we are going to go to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. And. uh, I just want to say, normally, we've been going through the book of Numbers, we've been talking about manna, and so I thought an illustration of manna would be Krispy Kreme donuts. I thought, right? Am I right? From heaven to us? I mean, I went to Collingswood, but really, heaven, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, God just dropped them down on us today, so uh, no one is complaining, I hope, after last week. We understand that we don't complain about Krispy Kreme donuts, All right? Okay. All right, so today we're going to jump over, because it is Easter and because God has this on my heart today, we're going to jump over to Colossians chapter 2, and I just want to say, as we start, we're going to talk about the good news today. We could call it the best news, the greatest news, the most wonderful news, but the good news has been a title for what we're going to talk about today for a long, long time, and I thought, as I thought about good news in my life, I thought about this. and Maybe you have the similar experience in your life. Some of the best news that I've gotten has come right after some really bad news. Just think about that for a minute. And sometimes it's it's tied together. The best news, the greatest news, the, the news that makes me really, really excited comes on the heels of some bad news. I'll give you an example. When I first asked Dana if she would be my girlfriend, she said no. And I understood it, even though I disagreed with it. Then a couple days later, she was like, well, I think, I think we should. And I would, then I didn't understand that, but I did agree with it, <laughs> that we should go forward together as a couple. I remember in September of 2015, standing right here and getting a phone call. And hearing that, my son had been in a head-on collision and had totaled our car. It was really bad news. And he was about... The, the whole thing happened about a half hour away from here. So Dan and I jumped in the car, and we raced down to where he was. And when we got out of the car and saw him in one piece uh, and, and moving around and, and with very minor injuries, it was really, really good news. But it came after really bad news. I've actually gotten that call from all of my children. We have the complete set, the royal flush, you know. Dad, I've been in an accident, you know, and, and racing down to find out what happened and where it was. And I want to talk to you about this Easter morning about really good news, the best news you'll ever hear. But I want to start by talking about some really bad news. And the really bad news is something we already know we got problems. How many of us have problems in our life? Okay. All right, good, a lot of you, that's good. The rest of you, you can continue your nap until (laughs) later. Here's a little more personal question. How many of you have issues (laughs) in your life? Yeah, we got problems around us, and we got problems in us. Really big, life-crushing problems. And the reason that we have them is because things are broken in this world. We are broken Other people are broken, and we know firsthand how hard life can be and how dark it can be because of that brokenness. We've spent a year talking about how solvable some of these big problems are. We spend a great majority of our time reacting to the problems around us and the problems in us. We are broken, and our world is broken. So what we do as hopeful human beings is we look for answers. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to solve this? The hopeful press forward with the latest ideas and things that sound good, that promise to have some hope to fix our culture, to fix our world, to fix ourselves, our souls, our lives. Other people get tired of trying and being disappointed, so they lose hope. And they say, well, there's, nothing's ever really going to change enough. So I guess I won't even try. We try to fix our lives. We try to fix the lives of people around us. Are we fixable? Can we be fixed? Well, yes and no. Certainly, we can change some things. We can do some things differently. We can make some different decisions. But here's the question that I have for you today that the the story of Easter is the answer to. Can things ever change enough for what you've been chasing your whole life? You and I need more answers. You and I need more change than we will ever be able to find in this world and that we will ever be able to make for ourselves. You need more than any human action, any human idea, any invention. You need more than anything that they can bring. You need something that reaches beyond what is actually possible. You need more. You need hope. You need life. You need real peace. You need enduring joy. You need more than you can find or you can make. So whether you're a Christian or not, humanly, you will always have more questions than answers. You will always have more problems than solutions. Whether you are a Christian or not, you will always. Some people say, well, this whole Christian thing, I I would like to believe it, but I got a lot of questions. Well, guess what? That comes with it. You will always have questions. But what we have found in being followers of Jesus is that the death and resurrection of Jesus brings us what we've been looking for our whole lives. We thought we needed answers, but what we needed was what the death and resurrection of Jesus brings us. And believers, this morning, here's something I want to say to you as we look at this. We know that this is the good news But man, don't we drift back to trying to find or make our own good news. Believers, there is a Savior, and He's not you. Being a Christian is not about getting something taken care of and checked off your list and then moving on with your life and getting back to living like it's all on you to solve and fix and find and make The good news is still the good news for you. The one who saved you is the one who keeps you. The one who gave you life when you got saved is the one who gives you life every day. The good news remains the good news. And the problem is still the problem, which is that humanly you can't fix your life yourself. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know what I'm talking about or or you've heard about Christianity, you've been around Christianity, you've attended church your whole life, but you've never really understood this whole giving your life to Jesus thing beyond just going to church on Sunday and trying to be good, I want to give you a chance today to do that, to figure it out. So let's talk about good news by starting with bad news. So Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 13 to 15, but I'm going to start really with just the first half of verse 13. And it's this is Paul writing to a bunch of Christians in a city called Colossae. It's in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, about 120 miles from the coast from Ephesus. And he's writing to them to go over what happened to them when they received Jesus. His words help us see the simplicity and the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here's how he summarizes it in verses 13 to 15, starting with 13a. It says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now we'll talk about why that's the setup in just a second, but that is the setup because that's where it all started. That's where they started. That's where we start. We talk about innocent babies. Now, our, our granddaughter is just about to turn one. And when she was born, she was just this innocent little baby. You know what I mean? You look at these babies, you're like, oh, they're so innocent. They haven't done anything wrong yet. By the way, any parent who had uh, childbirth or infants or toddlers, do- children at all, during this past year, I think there's a special like, medal in heaven for that. That it's coming it's not here yet but it's co- i think they're issuing a new like yeah you made it through anyway when you see a baby you're like oh they're so innocent but here's the reality all of us are born with this brokenness inside of us nobody has to teach baby to be selfish to throw a fit there's no like taking them aside and saying now listen just think about yourself don't think about anybody else they just naturally come right to you that right We are born with inherent weaknesses and brokennesses. It's just in us from the get. And Paul talks about that as being dead in your sins. He's not talking about physically dead. We're not born physically dead, but we are spiritually dead. And what that means is we are hopelessly lost. We cannot fix our lives and we are the problem in our lives. It's a way of talking about that brokenness that you know from your own experience. This never-ending quest for something that you can never get. This sorting out of your life, this sense of peace or hope or security that you can never be good enough and you can never stay on top of. You may catch a glimpse of it here and there, but you need more and it's never enough. Paul talks about that By saying we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. that is The circumcision he's talking about is that Old Testament Jewish circumcision which was a physical symbol. But what Paul is talking about here is not that physical symbol either. He's using it as a picture of the need we have as human beings for some essential private part of us to be removed from our lives. That we cannot sort it out. We cannot fix it while this is a part of us. Maybe it's easy for you when I say we are all broken to go, yeah, I am. Maybe you're someone who's like, yeah, I get, I get that, I'm broken. You live in guilt or shame all the time, constantly going over the past, what you did, what you said. What it means. Maybe your brokenness is that you get stuck in choices or behaviors that you can't break free from, even though you know they're not good, but you can't seem to figure out how to get away from them, how to disentangle yourself, how to overcome them. We disappoint ourselves over and over. We frustrate people that we love again and again. We hold stress. We hold anger. We hold worry in our souls. And we're exhausted all the time, but never able to find rest, peace, hope. Some of us are broken in ways that are a little different. We're broken in ways where we're pretty good people and we can keep rules. But at some point in your life, what you realize is that as good as you are at keeping rules, you're not good enough at keeping them. You keep a lot of them, not all of them. And so you start to hide by overperforming here some of the failures over there. And it's exhausting. Some of us have talent and charisma. We are broken in the fact that we lean into that. And it begins to make us chase the approval of other people. Good job. Way to go. You're really special. Wow. Look at what you can do. It's a different kind of brokenness. Some of us have confidence, but confidence is different than competence. And sometimes our confidence gets us in real trouble when we overdo it. So in a thousand different ways, way more than I could say to you this morning, we all are broken and our world is broken. And here's the really frustrating thing, because we've lived this over the past year, years and years, but this past year for sure. We get solutions offered to us when we look at the brokenness of this world. And those solutions sound good-ish, but they never pay off. They never fix it. Oh, we got racial injustice problems. Okay, I know what we do. Let's go march. Okay, great. That's something does that fix it we'll change the laws good 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 because the law when when you change the law that fixes it we inherently know that the problems that we have in this world are not fixable we may be able to improve or shape or something but we're not going to fix it because those problems go beyond what we can do There are so many people in our world right now struggling to feel like they can fit in anywhere. They feel like they don't fit in, they're they're not right, something's different about them, and they feel rejected or rejectable, especially in things like sexual attraction and, and gender identity and things like that. And I will tell you, some of the things that the world offers as solutions to that are worse than the problem. But they're helpless and hopeless they don't have because if you reject the real answer you don't have any answers so many of us face the problems of this life and the brokenness of this world all the time we've all tasted that brokenness in a million different ways so are we hopeless well yes and no you can never unbreak yourself I can't unbreak you. You can't unbreak me. You can help. You can be there. You can be. I can love you, but it doesn't fix it. The problem remains. So we are hopeless in the sense that we can do it ourselves, but that doesn't mean we can't find and experience what we've been looking for our whole lives. So the second half of verse 13, which starts with when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, it says this, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. If the description of brokenness is dead, then Paul uses this made you alive as his description of what God does that actually changes everything, that fixes the unfixable. His word life, it's not just a figure of speech, well, you'll feel alive. It's that there is literal life coming to the dead place in your soul. And not just for a minute or a season or a day. It's a life that endures, a life that lasts, a life that fills. It is the life that you've been looking for. Maybe you thought you'd get it through understanding. Maybe you thought you'd get it through education. Maybe you thought you'd get it through self-improvement. You won't get it through any of those things. You won't get it through any human activity. You get life from God through Christ. It's a life that heals our wounds. It's a life that brings power to our struggles, that brings purpose to our days, that brings the belonging we ache for that goes deep enough to know that we matter. It is a life that answers the questions of your soul. And you can't do it, but God can and God does. He made you alive you didn't make yourself alive he made you alive with christ and that's why easter is such a big deal he made you alive with christ meaning that christ's death was for your forgiveness christ's resurrection was for your life his death and resurrection historical events that are readily provable reflect that jesus was god in human flesh And that God gave His life, chose to die so you could live. Paul says in the first chapter of Romans that the resurrection is the proof that He is the Son of God in power. His resurrection proves that there is a plan. There is a provision. And through His death, He brings life. Well, death sounds extreme. Couldn't God just look the other way? The idea is that it took death to bring forgiveness because the fallout of our sin was death. That's what faces all of us is death. We know it in this physical world but you kind of already know it in your soul too. People who do really bad things you already know they should face something. Someone should make them answer for that. We know that inside of ourselves. Jesus took death on himself because we deserve death. He took our death on him, And in doing that, he offers us the gift of complete forgiveness. He says he forgave all our sins. Believers, this is something that you've got to know in your soul. He forgave all of our sins. All of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of your messes, every rebellion, every time your brokenness wrecked somebody else, He forgave all of it. We could never undo it. We could never go back in time and and undo it or fix the problem or wipe away the pain or the loss. But God can do it and he offers to do that and you're saying that's impossible. And I'm saying yes it is and that's God. That's the power of Easter. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Look at what Paul says next in verses 14 and 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus, by going to a place of death, torture, and humiliation, triumphed over death and all the powers that exist in this world. What he says is, this is what happened when we were saved. He uses two pictures. One of them is that we have this legal indebtedness, this charge of legal indebtedness, and he says he cancels it. So the picture is this, that there is a a piece of paper back here, a parchment, with all of the things that you've done that were wrong, that were in rebellion, that, that deserved punishment, all of them written out. And folks, it would be a long, long list because the one who would write it out is God who misses nothing and even sees the intentions of your heart so that when you do a good thing for a bad reason, that gets written down too. So your legal indebtedness is this long, long list of all the things that you've ever done, your spiritual debt. And it's there in black and white. There's no denying it. There's no escaping it because it's absolutely true but the forgiveness of God through the cross cancels it. And I want you to hear what that word means because that word was a very specific word for that time. When he says cancels it, he's talking about the, the process that they used to wash a parchment clean so they could reuse it. They would take a parchment and they would wash off the writing. And the point was that all that was written on there previously was gone, was not visible, was no longer there. There was no longer any record of it. Forgave us all our sins. Washed us clean. But the point of that parchment getting canceled, getting washed, was not just that the old stuff went. It was so something else could be written on it. It was so it could have a usefulness again. It could be fresh and new. See, here's the thing. It's not just about getting what you did fixed. It's about having a life and a story and a future. It's about God writing a story for you of life. The cross of Jesus brings forgiveness and light. That's what Jesus Offers. And that's why Easter is such a big deal. It is nothing less than the healing of our brokenness and the escape from our due. The other picture he uses is nailing it to the cross. He's saying this record of sin, this, this pile of sin for you. He took it and when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he nailed your sin to the cross with him. Obliterating your sin, executing your sin, killing your sin forever dead. Not only were the charges washed away, but He put them to death on the cross. Peter says elsewhere, Jesus carried our sin on the cross. When He died, He made it possible for my debt to be killed and never stand against me again. How can He do that? Well, that's what Paul says. He's the victor. He triumphed over it. By putting to death my sin, He put to death every power that had authority over me. He put to death death itself, sin, guilt, my past, my weakness, all of it. I could never escape it myself even though I was desperate for it. What I needed was a rescue. And that's what Jesus did. He triumphed over them. And believer, no power No power can beat the cross and the resurrection. If you are in Christ, there is no power over you and there's nothing that has the final word in your life. It doesn't matter if you're facing brokenness beyond description, brokenness that has wrecked your soul, a broken marriage, a pattern of behavior, your powerlessness, what's been done to you, hurt, pain, deception, there is no power that he did not defeat on the cross and in his resurrection. So people, we are offered this by the creator himself. Life through Jesus. Forgiveness, our brokenness healed, our sins washed away, being born again into new life, triumphing over death itself, not by our strength but by his. But it's offered, not forced. It's something He offers you. And I would say it's something He wants you to receive for yourself. Maybe you come from a good Christian family, a good Christian home. That's great. It's for you. We put on everybody's seat today a bookmark. And on that bookmark is a description, description of the gospel, which means good news. On the back of that are scriptures, scriptures. This is a shortcut to what it means to become a child of God. This is in your hand for you. This is in your hand for someone else. If you know someone or you would like to have a further description, you would like more words about that, that bookmark is based off of this book. And I got copies up here for anybody who wants them. Whether it's for you or someone you know. This is a chance for us to know the life that Jesus died to bring. So here's what you can do right now before you even leave this building. If you're someone that as I'm talking about this, you're like, I need that. Then here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm going to pray and you can follow along with me. And I promise you, God will hear what you say even when you don't say it out loud. He will hear what's in your heart and he will save you. He will wash your sin away. He will make you a child of God. He will defeat sin forever in your life by the power of the cross. And so when we pray, you pray. And if you want to pray after the service, here's what I would say. I'm going to have you stand in just a second. When I'm praying, you make your way up here. You come up to this front row. And I will come down And I will pray with you or I'll have someone pray with you before you even walk out of this building. Today is a day, if you don't know where you stand with this, to make sure you know. And believers, today is a day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, but how about if we live it? Like no power has any authority over me that the cross has not stamped out in my life. That I have been set free and raised to life because my Savior died and rose again. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. You can pray along with me if you want to receive Christ, or you can make your way up, and I'll pray with you after the service. Make sure you also come and get a copy of this book if you'd like it. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we know that you are right here with us, and we pray that your Spirit will be working. This morning, if you want to receive Christ, just in the quietness of your own soul, you could pray like this. Jesus, I know that you came to die for me. I need you to come and forgive my sin, to bring me life, to set me free from death. I want to receive you as the Savior you came to be. Come into my life and save me. If you prayed that prayer, I promise you, God saves you. If that's the cry of your heart, the prayer maybe helps us say it, but it's because it's what's in your heart. It's not magic words. But let me pray for you, and let me pray for us. Father, right now, we ask that you would do this work in us. We ask that this Easter would be just a powerful reflection of the power you poured out through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, do this work in us, we pray. We thank you for your love. We pray you'd go with us for all the rest of the things we have this day. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.